0: We've all heard of women's intuition, right? Well, men have intuition as well. Intuition is so important when it comes to feeding ourselves and our families in our challenging food environment. This podcast explores a variety of topics related to a powerful, evidence-based eating framework called intuitive eating that integrates instinct, emotion, and rational thought. My hope is that it will help you finally break free of the perpetual diet cycle. This is the Men's Intuition Podcast. All right, well, welcome to this first official episode of the Men's Intuition Podcast. My name is Jeff Ash, and I'm a certified nutritionist and personal trainer, and I will be the host of this podcast. I'm looking forward to sharing insight that I've gained through my formal education, as well as uh, practical experience that I've gained in working with clients in a one-on-one fashion. And so I'm looking forward to sharing that uh, insight and wisdom and, and knowledge with you, through episodes like this, where it's just me talking in your ear, but also I uh, am already starting to get lined up some very special guests who will come on and share uh, their specific areas of expertise as it relates to intuitive eating, which is the primary topic of this podcast. And so um, those guests, some of them who I've been talking to are already really excited about coming on and sharing what they uh, s- sharing their their area of expertise with you. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing where this thing goes. So, you know, I think of myself a bit uh, of a problem solver, I always have, it's it's just kind of part of my nature, uh, and I think a lot of us guys do, right? Uh, in fact, without trying to stereotype anyone, uh, it's not uncommon for us to try to solve a problem for our spouse, our partner, our kids, uh, rather than simply be kind of that listening ear that they actually wanted and needed at the time. Um You know, one of my favorite all-time TV shows was MacGyver. Uh, The new one was okay, but I'm talking about the original 80s masterpiece, uh, the one that I'm still surprised that it got nominated for some Emmy Awards but never actually won, quite the travesty in my opinion but uh yeah we'll we'll just keep moving on from there uh, i loved how he would be presented with a situation look at the available tools and parts around him and then come up with a creative solution to solve that problem uh you know like uh like building an ultralight plane from bamboo a cement mixer some tarps of course a duct tape you know that was his thing too and he probably assembled it all with his Swiss Army knife, right? Well, th- this always fascinated me and and kind of stoked that problem solver fire within me. And one of the things I really enjoy about coaching is that I get to actually help people solve various problems and challenges in and around food, uh, body, physical activity, um, and and doing that all in the context of their unique lifestyle and their unique genetics and those kinds of things. So, it's kind of cool because... Those people actually come to me and say, hey, I want you to help me solve this problem. So it's a little different than you know when when your wife or your kids come to you in just one event and you're trying to solve their problems. These people are actually coming to me specifically for that purpose. So I guess that's kind of one thing that I really like about coaching. Uh, anyway, my plan for this podcast is to really take advantage of the fact that, uh, that many of us are problem solvers by nature. Uh, we like to identify and then resolve problems. Uh, It doesn't even really seem to matter what kind of problem it is. It it could be like relationship issues, health issues, broken pipe, brown spot on the lawn. I had those this last summer, unfortunately, Um, but we got them fixed. So, hey, Uh, misbehaving child, you know, you name it. There's all kinds of different kinds of problems that we try and come up with solutions for. Uh, In the words of songwriting legend Robert Van Winkle, also known as Vanilla Ice, right, If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. So maybe, eh, I guess we probably shouldn't take that and use that as the the theme for this show because I'd probably get sued or something. I don't know. Um, Yeah, maybe we'll use a little snippet from a song at some point. I don't know. Anyway, again, I don't want to get off track here. So each episode is really going to uh, either present a problem and then provide some insight into solving or addressing that problem. I thought that would be a really nice approach to take with this podcast and kind of a, um, kind of the feel for this podcast, the, the culture of this podcast. Um, in other cases, we'll also be kind of addressing maybe a particular question, again, kind of from that problem-solving perspective. So, hey, what's the problem? What's the, the issue? What's the struggle? And what are some things that we can do to resolve that, that problem? or address that issue or struggle. So my hope is that this will resonate with my listeners a lot and um and so let's just kind of see how it goes. <clears throat> All right. Well, today's problem, today's issue is a really common one and this is one that I hear more often than not when a new client approaches me to to work together. I keep losing and gaining the same weight over and over. And I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this. It's one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest issues that people struggle with in our culture and in, in our society. Um, in this episode, we're also going to be addressing the kind of the question. Well, then what is the best approach for losing weight and keeping it off? Now you're probably going to be a bit surprised at my answer to this question. And that is especially going to be true if you are brand new to intuitive eating and don't really know much about it. If you already know what intuitive eating is and you know that I do align with the official principles of intuitive eating and and the core values of that, then you know where I'll, I'm probably going with this. Um, but if you're brand new to it, it may surprise you a little bit on how I answer this. So we're gonna start by laying a little bit of a foundation. I think that's important. And then uh, something I do wanna point out is that some perceived problems are not really in fact a problem, but just something common to the human experience. So keep in mind that some of these episodes going forward it won't necessarily be a problem, but it will be something where we are uh, just pointing out something that is common to the human experience, and then we'll be kind of address, you know, talking about ways to address those things. All right, so let's uh, let's get started here with this foundation. So set point theory says that the human body tries to maintain its weight within kind of a preferred range. Uh, this is an evidence-based view, which is great with, uh, some good scientific support. And so a science-y kind of geeky person like me is always looking for good, strong evidence to support the things that I do, uh, especially with clients. So, um, uh, when you eat fewer calories than your body needs to function at its current size and, and level of physical activity, uh, the body does a few different things. It, it down-regulates or slows down your metabolism and or your energy expenditure, Um, it it also can increase hunger hormones like ghrelin. Uh, Ghrelin is a hormone or a a chemical messenger basically that travels throughout the body and, and it tells us, Hey, I'm hungry. And it gives us that drive to go and eat food. Um, another interesting thing that these calorie deficits, which are common with dieting. So again, eating fewer calories than your body needs, uh, providing it with less energy than it needs is basically what we're doing there. Uh, it also decreases satiety hormones like leptin. So it increases hunger hormones that drive us to eat, and it decreases the hormones that tell us, tell our body that, hey, I'm good, I don't need any more food. So it's kind of a double whammy there, and it increases this drive for us to, to seek out food. Uh, it, it fuels this, this drive in a very strong way. Um, now, it's really important that we understand that this isn't a bad thing. This isn't something that we should be trying to trick or fool. It's actually a survival mechanism. It's a really cool feature of the human body and really of, of all animals. Um, it helps keep us alive. It, without a drive to go and get energy, it would be very easy for us to not get the energy that our body needs. We wouldn't have any way of knowing that. But fortunately, our body provides us with all these really powerful signals. Uh, what we're going to be talking about is an approach that tunes into those signals, it connects with those signals within our body in order to help us eat the amount of food that's appropriate for our body. Now, does it work the same to protect against weight gain? Well, it does, but unfortunately, you know, we kind of we we, we wish it was just as strong, but it really isn't. It seems that the body is much uh, much more careful about letting us know when we start to get uh, inadequate energy intake, and it doesn't give us th- signals that are quite as strong to tell us, "Hey, you've had more than you need." So this is why it typically is easier to gain weight beyond your set point than it is to maintain weight loss below your set point. Uh, So an explanation for this is that we can see this in some of the overfeeding studies that have been done. And in these overfeeding studies, what they do is they carefully control all the factors and variables, and then they overfeed people beyond what their energy expenditure is. And it's really interesting because this highlights the importance of Understanding that we're all so very different. We all have a very unique genetic blueprint. Some people, when you overfeed them, their body just ramps up energy expenditure through kind of non exercise activity. So, fidgeting and um, just other processes in the body that expend energy, it ramps it up to meet those, that additional energy intake or in additional calorie intake. And so, it just kind of is a wash, So sort of offsets it. Uh, it. In other people, when they overfeed them, they immediately begin to store body fat. And this is something that we really don't have any control over. This is kind of a genetic thing. And it's just really important to highlight the fact that that all of us are different and our bodies are going to respond to this in a very different way. And it's good that we understand that and and kind of accept that as we move forward. So the set point theory really helps set kind of a foundation for what it is that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, This means we all have these varying genetic blueprints that dictate a lot about the size and shape of our body. So it not only does it dictate body fat, but it also dictates muscle mass um, and our propensity to gain muscle mass, bone sizes, proportions, uh, accumulation of fat mass. Distribution of body fat in and lean body mass in different areas within the body, and this is why we all look so different, and why you can have two elite level athletes who are performing the same basic uh, tasks. Let look at sprinters; you look at sprinters, and and their bodies are different. They may have similar characteristics in certain ways, but you look at them, and their proportions are different, and they're going to be shaped different. You look at um, long distance runners and that kind of thing, and uh, this these different genetic factors also play a role not only in how our body looks and the size and shape, but in how it performs. Do so you have, as I said, sprinters? Compare those with long-distance runners. They, they really tend to gravitate toward one or the other because the skill set and the way that the body functions is very different between those two variations on running. Strength athletes versus kind of more graceful gymnast dance-type athletes And again, the bodies function in a little bit different way, and that's why elite athletes kind of tend to gravitate toward one area or another that really fits well with their genetic blueprint. NFL, uh, American football for any of my my listeners who are outside the US. So NFL players are a really good example of this. If you look at linemen, those are those big, huge guys on the front lines uh, on the defense and offensive side. Some of these guys are 6'8", 6'9". 350 360 you know just huge men and they're elite athletes extremely strong extremely powerful extremely fast and yet then you have running backs and these are some of these guys are like five eight five nine and you know 225 pounds something like that and very explosive very dynamic they can they're very shifty a lot of times and you look at the the stark difference between the two and you can't say one body is better than the other they actually are very well suited to those positions. Again, wide receivers, linebackers, tight ends, all of those bodies are very different. They're structured different. They're shaped different. Their, the sizes are different. And, and it, it's important to uh, to understand this fact. I always kind of think of the NFL as a kind of an interesting picture of, of this variation between human genetics. It's it's really interesting when we look at it. It just kind of illustrates that fact. Uh, Pretty powerfully because, you know, you think, can a lineman become a really good, you know, elite level wide receiver if they just maybe lost a little weight? Well, no, they'd still, their body isn't, their body isn't designed that way. It's just not going to function optimally in that position, nor would it function optimally as a running back. Could a 5'8 running back be an effective offensive lineman? Not a chance. They just, they would literally get picked up and thrown on the ground. and so. Uh, I think that's a really good illustration as we go further into this particular topic. So hopefully this foundation should already have you thinking a bit about why it's so difficult to intentionally change the size and shape of our body. The set point theory that I talked about keeps us it, it tends to drive us to stay within this particular range. And and this helps us to understand too why it's so easy and actually quite natural to lose weight and then regain it because often we're pushing ourselves outside of that, that set point range. So now you may be thinking, well, well, cool. Well, so what's the best way to lose weight then? Right. Cause that's, you know, that's what, that's what people do in our society. They, they lose weight if they don't meet the society's standard. Uh, can I trick my body? So it doesn't send me these hunger signals that I talked about uh, when I was talking about set point theory and See, this is the issue with dieting. Uh, numerous weight loss studies show that dieting just doesn't work well. This is something that is basically settled science now. They just don't seem to work well. And time and time again, we look at these long-term weight loss studies. Not, we're not talking about 12-week transformations where you say, oh, yeah, well, I lost weight and kept it off for, for six months or a year. We're talking long-term beyond five years. Uh, depending on the study, 80 to 95% of attempts at attentional weight loss fail. Uh, now they succeed in the short term. Again, like I said, you know, you do your little 12 week transformation challenge, you lose your weight because all diets tend to work for losing weight, but it's that maintaining of that weight loss that just doesn't seem to work and and fails at this very high rate. Uh, in fact, a huge portion of those who do then gain the weight back, and you may have experienced this yourself actually end up heavier than they were when they started. And so, it's really interesting how one of the best predictors of weight gain and long-term weight gain and and kind of steady weight gain over the years is a long history of dieting. So, I don't think a lot of people really realize what what the power of dieting, you know, the power that dieting has on the human body. So, the answer to this problem is… Basically, to get out of the dieting cycle and approach our health and body and nutrition from a completely different perspective, and that's what this podcast is about, a a different way. Uh, Rather than thinking in terms of intentionally shrinking your body, shift it to a a very different perspective, and that perspective is is really important. Uh, Think in terms of eating and moving in such a way as to support the body that's right for you as a unique individual. Uh, this can be really hard to wrap our heads around at first uh, and and even harder to accept Uh, but it completely changes how attempts at improving our relationship with food and physical activity actually come to fruition which is really interesting and it also completely changes the way these changes impact us psychologically and socially and emotionally uh, even spiritually and and it also even trickles down to how it impacts us um, physically so this can be hard (laughs) really hard because of the thin and muscular ideal that our society just is constantly ramming down our throat on a constant basis from every angle but uh, it's important that we maybe consider a different approach to this that uh, since things haven't really worked for us in the past so we have this constant pressure to change the size and shape of our body and you know when we do this is what's makes it difficult even more difficult i think is that people tell us how great we look and how healthy we look um and and they do this regardless of what we did to get there they don't even know we could have done some crazy juice diet or cabbage soup diet very unhealthy uh way of losing weight or maybe we got sick with some kind of digestive issue and we lost all this weight and people start to tell us how good we look and how healthy we look even though we may not be healthy Physically or emotionally, psychologically, could have an eating disorder, even that kind of thing. Uh, they tell us to keep going. That's another one that that can be really difficult. Even if we may have hit a weight where we feel comfortable, you know, you uh, you see this all the time. Somebody shares something on social media. They share, "Hey, yeah, I lost all this weight and I'm feeling fantastic." And everybody's like, "Well, keep going." And you're like, "You don't even know." That person may have said may have been sharing this because they got to a place where they feel really comfortable now. And yet everyone's telling them, keep going, keep going. And now you suddenly are like, oh, well, I thought I was okay, but well, maybe I need to lose some more. Uh, I guess maybe I'm not as, as small as I should be. Maybe I need to be smaller and that kind of thing. And it can be really, really difficult psychologically in that way. So, uh, you know, most approaches at intentional weight change focus on the scale as the primary outcome. So even if they try and say, no, no, it's all about lifestyle change, ultimately, the the mark of success is how much that scale changed or how much change there was in the number of inches lost or, you know, those kinds of things. And, and that's really unfortunate. Uh, most or all of these approaches really use some form of dietary restriction that focuses on eating f- a, a few calories. Um, eating as few calories as you can actually tolerate. And that's that that's what makes them very difficult to sustain and why they are not sustainable long term. And what's interesting too is how we do this while simultaneously engaging in um physical activity for the purpose of burning calories. So we have this increase in energy expenditure through these calorie-burning exercises, and then this restriction on calorie intake or energy intake on the body. And so it's kind of a double whammy hitting the body from two directions there. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of uh, wolves and sheep's clothing out there, but ultimately they equate success with size and shape changes, as I said. And so it's really important that we understand that, that um, key hallmark of dieting. So then what can we do instead of all this? What can we do instead of this dieting, this, uh, this focus on trying to change the size and shape of our body? Is there a better way? Um, Is there another approach that can help us learn to eat and move in a way that helps support the body that's right for us? Well, um, I'm glad you asked, even if you didn't ask. I'm still going to answer that question. (laughs) Uh, Intuitive eating, which is what this podcast is all about, addresses this exact issue, and that's what I love so much about it. Uh, So let's start things off with this uh, first episode, then with kind of a brief overview of intuitive eating, what it is, and then also what it isn't. So uh, first off, just briefly, uh, intuitive eating is an evidence-based mind-body health approach and framework, and there's basically 10 principles created by two registered dietitians, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch, and they they created this kind of back in 1995, so it's been around a long time. This is not some just new fad or trend kind of a thing. It's what we call a weight-neutral approach, and, and I'll talk about that here momentarily, but it also has been validated through research. And uh, using an assessment scale where they found that people that score high on the, the intuitive eating assessment scale tend to have lower BMIs. Wow, that's kind of surprising. Uh, better nutritional quality, better psychological, emotional, and social health. And so these are some things that we'll be exploring also down the line in this podcast even more. But just understand that this is an evidence-based approach. We're well over 100 studies now. I think we're up around 150 or so peer-reviewed studies that have been done validating the, the efficacy of intuitive eating to address these various health-related issues, whole-person health-related issues. So what is a, new, a weight-neutral model or approach to health? Um, that's something that uh, you, you may be asking since I said that intuitive eating is one of these approaches. Well, weight neutral approaches don't immediately uh, pathologize a person based on the size of their body, uh, but rather they they address health and health issues from kind of a whole person perspective. So when someone wants to improve their health, a weight neutral approach doesn't focus on weight loss, but uh, rather all the, the bazillion other things a person I used bazillion, yeah, like, you know, our, our little kids use that word, but hey, okay, it seems suitable here. Uh, the bazillion other things that a person can do to improve their health, um, you know, really regardless of whether or not weight loss occurs. And so that's what a weight neutral approach is all about. So let's start off before I go over these 10 principles briefly here and just kind of outline what intuitive eating is not. Uh, it's not another diet. So it's not the intuitive eating diet. It's not keto. Oh, are you? Oh, you're keto. I'm in, an intuitive eating dieter. That's not what it is. Uh, it's not a hunger and fullness diet, which is a common misconception with people who don't understand what intuitive eating is really about. Uh, it's not for intentional weight loss. So anybody who's telling you, oh, you can use intentional or in, intuitive eating to help lose weight, that's not really what it's about. Uh, sometimes weight changes do occur. Um, uh, which which would make sense because as we talked about with the set point, if you're outside that range, your weight may change once you are, are eating in a way that's right for your body. Uh, it may stay the same or it may you may gain weight. So, that's an important thing to understand with intuitive eating too is that it's not about changing the size and shape of your body. Uh, it's also important to understand it's not a cop out. So some people think of it in terms of it being a cop out. It's like, oh, well, you can't stick to a diet. You can't. You don't have the discipline or willpower to stick to a diet. So why don't you just try this intuitive eating thing? Just give up and, and try that. And that's not at all what it is. It's it, in fact, intuitive eating is not particularly easy because what it does is it addresses the deep uh, issues that are at the root of the problems that that we may be experiencing when it comes to our relationship with food and body image. And physical activity and those kinds of things. So it's actually, um, it's actually a lot of work to, to go through the process of developing those skills within you, but it's so worth it. And it's, it's addressing the underlying issues that, uh, so many of these other diet approaches just don't address. Now, the, these 10 principles are, outlined in a book by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rush titled Intuitive Eating, A Revolutionary Anti-Diet Approach. And so you may want to check that book out. There's also a workbook that you can get with that as well, and that you can use those together to kind of do a um, self-guided, make your way in a self-guided manner through the principles of intuitive eating. However, working with a coach one-on-one, if you do have the means available, can really help through that process. So keep that in mind. All right. So let's start off with these 10 principles. We're just going to touch on them very briefly. We could go into great detail on each one of these in an episode all by itself, which we probably will do down the line. But I just wanted to give you a glimpse of what intuitive eating is. And hopefully when we're done, you'll see these principles and see how they do, how they could tie into each other and, and create this wonderful framework and system for improving your health, your relationship with food and your body image. All right. So principle number one is reject the diet mentality. This is where we put weight loss on the back burner. And so obviously we are coming at this thing from the perspective of I keep losing and regaining the same weight. So if that's been happening, then doesn't it make sense to just say, all right, I'll just stop trying to lose weight for right now. I'll put it on the back burner and I'm going to start to address the real issues that are driving the problems that I'm experiencing in and around food my body my health and those kinds of things and so just put it on the back burner because when it's in the forefront it tends to interfere with the process of developing these various intuitive eating principles which you'll probably start to recognize as we go through the other nine so this is where we get rid of the diet books those facebook recommendations and suggestions from very well-meaning friends and family uh chasing that perfect diet that we think will finally give us the results that we've been longing for that's this is where we toss that stuff out um often talk to clients about how the things that uh, many of us think are the problem are actually a symptom of the problem, not the problem itself. So think about fast food, you know, too much fast food. Someone says, oh, that's my problem It's too much fast food. I'm addicted to sugar. Uh, I have binge eating issues. Uh, I feel loss of control around certain foods, guilt and shame. And those are my problems. Well, those aren't your problems. Those are the symptoms of the problem that's going on at a much deeper level. Intuitive eating actually addresses that deeper level issue and, and resolves symptoms by addressing the root problem. And I often use an illustration of back pain to kind of help drive this point home. When your back hurts, what do you do? The, the tendency for people is, oh, my back is sore. I'm going to pop some pain meds and put a heating pad on it or whatever that is. Well, if your back hurts for a reason, and wouldn't it be better to say, hmm, my back's hurting. I wonder what's going on addressing that back issue instead of trying to mask it with pain medication a good example of that is something that i used to work with when i worked as a physical therapy technician years ago and that was something called piriformis syndrome and this is the piriformis is a little muscle that's deep down inside the glutes and it's right near the sciatic nerve and so when it gets inflamed it actually can push on the sciatic nerve and cause these like radiating pains down your legs and it also causes lower back pain And so you think, oh, my back hurts. Well, that's a symptom of this little piriformis muscle inside your glutes being inflamed. Taking pain medication, putting a heating pad, stretching your low back is not going to address the root issue. Uh, Dealing with that piriformis muscle through certain stretches and exercises is a way to resolve the problem going forward so that you don't need all these pain meds and you don't have to just keep managing the pain. You actually resolve the pain. Dieting is much the same way. Dieting is more like a pain pill addressing symptoms rather than addressing root issues. And so that's one of the things I love with intuitive eating. It actually addresses the root of the issue, much like uh, the back pain example. All right, principle number two. Principle number two is honor your hunger. So hunger is this biological drive to eat and provide our body with energy. Uh, Often hunger is what drives certain eating behaviors that we attribute to the type of food or lack of willpower. So really, these things we say, oh, I just have, I don't have any willpower around this food. And it's probably in many cases because you're not feeding yourself well. And that's, again, that's addressing the root of the issue, not cutting out those problem foods, but saying, well why are those foods a problem? Well, it's because I'm not feeding myself well throughout the day or consistently. So often clients will resolve those issues in that way. Uh, Dieting often encourages us to ignore or suppress or trick our bodies into thinking that we're not even hungry. So we have those little tricks like diet soda, uh, chug a bunch of water before a meal so you won't eat as much, fill up on like really high volume, low calorie foods. All these things were in an effort to trick our body. Caffeine, you know, use that as an appetite suppressant all of these little tricks that we have but the problem is is that while it may trick us trick our body for uh acutely you know kind of take away that that hunger feeling just for a short period ultimately our body is going to fight back and say hey i'm not kidding i really do need this energy later on and that's often what drives these these symptoms that i talked about earlier very important principle Uh, number three is making peace with food so one of the hardest parts of intuitive eating is is this principle. And it typically takes the most work. Um, This is where you call a truce and stop that internal fight that you have going on with food. Uh, This involves unlearning the things that diet culture has taught us about nutrition and food and our bodies. Uh, It also involves oftentimes unlearning things that our very well-meaning, loving parents may have instilled in us from birth. So, you know, can I get a shout from any members of the Clean Your Plate Club? (laughs) So uh, I think a number of us have have experienced that. I was fortunate that I didn't myself, but I, I I deal with clients on a daily basis who do experience that. And you know what's really interesting is I was talking to somebody last night about this and and the fact that while my parents didn't insist on that, um, because our culture is so in that's something that's so ingrained in our culture, I still ha- have that sort of drive in the back of my mind that, oh, there's still food on my plate, I should probably finish it, either to be polite or not to be wasteful, that kind of thing. We'll address that in another issue, uh, so I need to stop now before I go off on a tangent. But uh, anyway, unconditional permission to eat all foods at in any quantity at any time is a really important aspect of this. So you may be saying unconditional permission to eat any food in any quantity at any time. Uh, Yeah, Uh, this is where we understand that uh, stopping restriction is really important. It's uh, restriction is a hallmark of dieting. Now, this is a really scary concept. And again, we'll go into detail on how you do this. But uh, you may be thinking, well, this is what got me into this mess in the first place. But in the context of the other principles of intuitive eating, this is really a key component that offers some really incredible freedom to eat in a way that's right and ultimately most healthy for you as a complete individual so um if that sounds a little scary or if you're having a hard time wrapping your head around it you'll it'll make more sense over time so just keep that there um just understand we'll 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 make that one make sense to you down the road challenge the food police so, this is where we reject and toss out the concept of good and bad when it comes to food, uh, whether that be the type or quantity or timing of eating it. Uh, food should have no moral value. So, you didn't do anything worthy of guilt or shame by eating a piece of cake <laughs> when it's not a birthday party or a burger and fries on Wednesday. Um, and, you know, toss out this idea that low calorie is better, that each meal needs to look like a my plate picture, you know, the my plate thing where oh your plate should have half of veggies a quarter protein a quarter uh, g- whole grains and you know this this kind of idea just toss that out and understand that each meal is going to look different and that's okay uh this is where we neutralize foods which frees us up to make the choices for ourselves that best suit our unique needs at any given time and those needs are not just physical but emotional psychological and social so it's important that when we neutralize food that it helps us to better address our needs in all of those different facets of our health this is where we toss out the diet rules that uh, haven't served us well and are often completely non evidence based and nonsense anyway so uh, some of these silly diet rules that people apply to themselves just don't make any sense. And they're, they tend to even be more harm, harmful than helpful, at least long-term. All right, principle number five is discover and pursue the satisfaction factor. So in Japanese culture, they include pleasure as one of their goals of healthy living. And I think that's a really important thing that we should include. Uh, food is so much more than fuel. Food plays an important part in every culture around the world and you know eating what we want and what we enjoy is is really important again dieting tells us the opposite uh in the context of the other principles of intuitive eating satisfaction actually helps us to enjoy what we eat while also feeding our body in a way that helps us to meet our needs again physically emotionally psychologically and and socially and and so that is so this is why it's so important that we Um, understand each of these principles in the context of the complete framework. You know, again, making uh, unconditional permission to eat in in the make peace with food principle. If That's the only thing you do is unconditional permission to eat and don't apply any of these other principles. You can imagine how you're you're going to run into issues. And so when you say, oh, well, that's what got me in this mess. uh, You can kind of say, well, yeah, because you haven't been looking at all these other principles. All you've done is the unconditional permission to eat part. So uh, keep that in mind as we continue going through these principles. They, they all really tie in nicely together. Uh, principle six is feeling your fullness. So habitually not eating enough, that's bad. You know, that's why our honor your hunger comes in. We wanna make sure we're giving ourselves adequate energy intake. Uh, habitually eating too much is also not good. And that's why our body has hunger signals, hunger hormones hunger messages and cues that it gives us, and it also has satiety ones that say, all right, I'm good, I don't need any more food, you can stop, and it's important that we recognize that. So this is where this principle six, feel your fullness comes in, and it helps us to recognize and and know when we've had enough for our body. Uh, Honoring our hunger helps us provide enough fuel for our body while learning to feel your fullness, then it's going to help us on that other end. So those two principles together with making peace with food and unconditional permission to eat, discovering satisfaction, tuning into how your body feels, now you can start to see how all these pieces fall into place and how they work together and how implementing all of the principles as a framework and a model is really the way that you're going to get a handle on this. Uh, principle seven is coping with your emotions with kindness and also kind of without food as your only coping mechanism. So it's totally okay. In fact, I highly recommend eating for emotional reasons. I do it myself. Uh, there is nothing whatsoever wrong with eating for emotional reasons, regardless of what diet culture and, uh, you know, whatever your health guru is telling you. Because remember food is more than fuel. It impacts us physically, psychologically, socially, emotionally. It's not healthy physically or mentally if food is our only coping mechanism, of course. That's where the problem of emotional eating becomes an issue is when it's our primary or only coping mechanism. Now, if it is currently, I do want to say that you don't want to yank the rug out from under yourself and and just say, well, I'm not going to eat for, I'm not going to cope with my emotions with food anymore. You need to replace that with something else before you Remove food as that coping mechanism because you could really harm yourself psychologically and uh, and mentally and emotionally if you just like uh, yank that out from under you and that's uh, and something important to understand through this process is that that all of these different factors impact us in, in many different ways so when it comes to coping with your emotions without food it it means that you're going to be trying to find out what do I really need you know I've been using food to cope with this emotion, but what would actually Help me deal with this emotion. What would address the emotional need that I have at the root uh, that food has not been addressing for me? Again, food kind of being the sort of medication or this Band-Aid that we've been using to cope with our emotions. So sometimes it's food. You know, sometimes sitting down with a pint of ice cream or uh, or a piece of cake or a brownie or a couple of cookies or whatever it is, is just what the doctor ordered, so to speak. You know, it, it just, uh, that feels so nice. Help me relax. Just what I needed, but uh, other times it's a hug, and eating a cookie when you need a hug is not going to meet the need of the hug. Uh, a conversation with a therapist, the need to talk to your pastor or a friend that that need there that emotional need there is not going to be met by eating a bowl of ice cream that may numb it temporarily, but it's not going to meet the need and so what we need to start to do is really get curious and ask ourselves, hey, what is it that I truly need? And then trying to get those needs met in a way that doesn't involve food as the only coping mechanism. Uh, sometimes it's time with our children or our spouse. So these are just some examples of of ways that, you know, food is not going to meet those needs. And um and when we're starting to tune in and really consider our our deep needs and then find ways to address those. That's how intuitive eating helps us to then deal with emotional eating issues. All right, respecting your body is principle number eight. And this really ties all of this together. So we respect our body by feeding it well, uh, by moving it regularly, by providing it with the food that it's craving and enjoys, uh, by getting adequate sleep and rest, uh, taking vacations, playing golf, fishing, working out, working out in the shop, hobbies, yard work, Listening to music, arts and crafts, hopefully I cover the number of things there, yoga, uh, a beer with friends, watching a football game is actually a health promoting behavior in many ways because it's promoting and building that social health, that community, those kinds of things. So, So don't immediately think sitting on the couch with a beer and hanging out watching the game with your friends is an unhealthy behavior, which again, diet culture would tend to say, oh yeah, that's not healthy. But in fact, it, it can be a, a very healthy behavior to build those other facets of our health, not just the physical. All right, we're coming around the uh, the bend here toward the end. Principle number nine, movement. And in the book, uh, Triboli and Resh uh, refer to it as movement, feel the difference. And I like that approach because it takes the emphasis off of exercise for the purpose of changing the size and shape of our body or for burning calories. Uh, Formal exercise is great. Uh, I engage in it myself, uh, but it's not the only way to benefit our bodies through movement. So there's non-exercise activity that's extremely beneficial from a health perspective, and it should be enjoyable and something that we look forward to, not something just to burn calories or to maximize hypertrophy, building muscle, uh, or to optimize fat burning and that kind of thing, which is, again, what diet culture tends to do with exercise. Oh, what's the best exercise to burn belly fat? What's the best exercise to maximize um, muscle growth? What's the best exercise to burn, to burn fat? Uh, should I use high intensity interval training hit or should I use cardio? Uh, oh, too much cardio will impede muscle growth. So we, we over complicate this whole thing instead of just enjoying moving our bodies. Now, if you have very specific goals, specific athletic goals, then there may be some formal Structured training that's involved. I do that myself. I I do the ninja obstacle course training. uh, So American Ninja Warrior stuff. I love it. It's so much fun. I'm fairly new to it, but I I do some other training aspects, uh, not just swinging from ropes and and jumping from bars, uh, because it helps me to then enjoy the sport itself more. So again, there, there are reasons for doing that. And that's perfectly fine. But the key here is that you find something you enjoy that you look forward to and that's sustainable for you. Because really, just moving your body more is going to give you the bulk of the health benefits from movement. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is you don't have to engage in some super hard, structured, long workout program in order to get the main health benefits. All right. The last principle is principle number 10, a gentle approach to nutrition. And so... It is last for a reason, and it, it's because it can interfere with developing the other principles, as you might imagine. A nutrition science can come into play here, and I often will share uh, some of those key things with people, uh, but but when we start to fixate and, and focus first on the nutrition part, what we should eat, that kind of thing, then it interferes with those other principles because those other principles are, are typically ways to help undo some of these rules and things that, that have been so ingrained in us that are not helping us. So um, some examples of gentle nutrition might be, hey, uh, have some protein, fat, and carbs at each meal. And why, well, it's, it's quite satiating and it sustains us better than like a handful of pretzels. So a good snack, you might think, oh, an apple is a good snack. Well, an apple, there's nothing wrong with that as a snack, but if you add some protein and fat to it too, then that apple snack is going to sustain you much longer than just the apple itself would. Also, uh, another example of, of applying this principle would be understanding how fiber and mixed meals, meals that have protein, fat, and carbs in them, for those that have type 2 diabetes or prediabetes can help regulate blood glucose. Uh, it, it reduces the, the, bl- the blood sugar spikes, keeps things a, li- a bit more even. And so that simple change, no weight loss involved, no cardio involved, you know, no none of this other stuff on the side. Just that simple act of being mindful and thoughtful of how you structure that meal. Is enough to help improve your blood glucose regulation. Uh, also, ensuring enough protein can help with recovery after vigorous and intense physical activity. So uh, uh, also this adequate protein can help build your strong immune system, and it helps with our appetite regulation, keeping that much more even throughout the day and these kinds of things. And so this is how we then apply gentle mm-hmm. nutrition to the complete model and framework is that we take what we know about it and then we apply it to these different areas. All right. So this was a very high level uh, brief overview of the 10 principles. I think the episode went a little bit longer than I intended, but uh, I really do want to try and keep these episodes to 20 or 30 minutes, except when I have a guest. And then, of course, they'll go a little longer there. But um uh hopefully this you found this really helpful. You know, we could do an entire episode on each one of these principles. And so I I had to kind of pick some key points to bring out of those. So hopefully I did a good job of tying that all together uh, when working with clients will often bounce between working on different principles at different times, depending on what a person needs. So don't think that the way that you go through this is step one, you know, step two, principle three, principle four. It's not a step by step approach like that. It, it's uh, you, you tend to, to work on the areas where you're struggling and you tend to come back to other principles at different times and develop them further and address different issues by by re-exploring those different principles and that kind of a thing. Uh, Understand this isn't a quick fix, which probably you have already figured out by now, uh, but it's extremely fulfilling and freeing when you implement it and when you develop these principles. So how would would you go about getting started with this? Uh, Well, continue to listen to this podcast. This podcast is designed specifically to guide you through all of this process and Hopefully, as you listen to it, you'll learn and grow uh, right along um, right along with me here. But you can also check out that book, Intuitive Eating by uh, Triboli and Resh. That's a great place to start. Uh, they go much more in detail into each of the principles as well as some practical ways of applying it. But definitely, if you have the means, working one-on-one with a coach is really going to be helpful. Um, I personally think I'm a pretty good coach, but there are a lot of other coaches out there. It's important you find one who who you resonate with, who you connect with, and who can help you uh, address the issues that you are struggling with as a unique individual. They'll help guide you through uh, the various principles, help you identify the areas that you need to work on and kind of how to work on those areas and how to do so in a way that's not uh, contradictory to other principles of intuitive eating, uh, providing encouragement, insight, support, and, and all of this, uh, since it involves a lot of introspection and really digging deep. So very much it uh, can be kind of a counseling type of a relationship there. And it can be really beneficial and helpful. So I highly encourage you, again, if you have the means, not everybody does, unfortunately. But if you have the means, um, seek that out. Uh, there are some coaches who are doing some group programming which is much more cost effective too. And if you need some help finding one of those, certainly let me know. I'll probably be starting one up at some point too, kind of targeting uh, men specifically. Uh, But I can certainly help you find something if if a one-on-one coaching relationship is not something that's the right fit for you right now. So I do wanna thank you so much for listening to this first episode. Uh, Please do uh, subscribe to this podcast if you think it's going to be beneficial and share it around with other people who you think might benefit from it. And uh, let me know if there are any topics that you'd love to discuss. Let me know how you like the uh, the feel and the flow and the, the direction that the podcast is going. And I'd love for you to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice, of course, only if you really like it. So um, again, thank you for listening and I look forward to more episodes to come.